0: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric
2: Lopez, and Brian Murphy.
1: Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, on a stacked Thursday show for you. We're recording this on uh, Thursday, February 4th, uh, in the early afternoon. Lots to talk about here on this, uh, uh on this, uh, frigid, frigid central floor today. But, uh, oh boy. The it's, a- it's
0: in the fifties. It's in the fifties. Hey, listen, I woke up
1: 50s? this morning to take the kids to school and there was frost on my car. There was frost on the ground. Um, it was, it was, it was cold. It was as cold as, you know, it was a really cold morning. Like the, 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 my little, my daughter was freaking out how cold it was. I'm like, no, you gotta get it. She didn't want the AC. I, anyway, um, However, gentlemen, okay. Thanks, Brian, because you blew my segue, which was <laughs> the AD search is starting to heat up for UCF. Who's going to replace Danny White? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about is there any movement on the head coaching front? Which I doubt there will be, but anyway, we'll see what we'll see what Eric Lopez knows from uh, you know softball Woge is now AD Woge, right? So, um. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we'll talk about uh you know what well what's left of National Signing Day, but uh UCF did get a couple things going on that and lots more to talk about as well. Basketball, men's and women's, lots to talk about there, but let's start with this A D search. All right. President Cartwright is uh buried deep in the bunker trying to figure out who he wants for uh to run his athletic department and Eric Lopez. There's uh we're we're starting to we're starting to hear some you know, we're starting to hear some rumors about people who might be involved in this. Finally, we're not we're, we're starting to zero in from like speculation mode to like to, to like, OK, there's something starting to solidify here. So what is what are you hearing? What's the latest right now in the UCF AD search?
2: Well, it makes sense here as we record this on Thursday morning. I think we're on the back end of this process search. I think the goal was from what I was told earlier in the week was that they would ha- try to have somebody in place Maybe by Friday. Now, and I they have public, you know, they've made the job public, and it says the job will close on Friday. Right. So, Reddit, Reddit. By the way, did you see they posted
1: the, the yeah, actual? They did. The uh, the, are, the job. Did you apply,
2: Jeffrey? Did I you didn't guys...
1: apply. I'm I am i am sad about that. Maybe I should have. But um, yeah. the
2: the job is still open. <laughs> well, is a, you could apply. Murph could be your associate AD. You know. <laughs> I think that would Murph be – sounds I think really
1: excited about us. the prospect of working for me in two different jobs. But anyway.
2: <laughs> All right, there you go. But so I, I think more realistic – I don't know if it's going to come out by Friday because from what I've heard, Dave, this is a job – Look, and this is why I was not worried like a lot of people are. This is a very attractive job. This is attractive – uh, from what I understand, some pretty good names. This is a pretty good list from what I'm told. So, And the beauty of technology with the Zoom is you could go through this process quicker than you did, say, six years ago when you had to fly to Atlanta, for example, and meet up with candidates and things like that. So I actually think that because of Zoom, this has helped speed up the process. I think we will have an AD in place by early next week at the latest. Um, and I think the timetable you got to look for here. I could see an AD named, if not Friday, probably Monday, Tuesday range. And then at that point, I would not be surprised if you see the new head football coach probably be hired maybe a handful of days after that. So I think this is this next week is gonna be real fast here. And you know, and to UCF's credit, they have done their research, they're doing the process, they're interviewing people. They're not gonna rush into this because they understand this is an important hire. And I think that's the right approach to do and to make sure you get the right person for this job. And I think they're they're definitely handling that the correct way with, obviously, the firm that we talked about last week in the process helping out. This will be a Cartwright decision, though. He will have final say on this, obviously. This will be his biggest decision as far as the athletic department is concerned uh, since he's arrived here. So uh, I think that's kind of where we stand uh, as far as the timeline with this and what we think will go down. Do we have
1: any inkling on who the lead candidates are right now? We
2: don't. We, cause I think they're kind of finalizing all that. There's been rumors of Eddie Nunez, the AD at New Mexico, who's a guy that I touted as a dark horse when we did our AD yeah. search uh, candidates. This is a guy that is in the New Mexico AD, but spent 14 years as the deputy AD at LSU help really raise funds for the beautiful facilities at LSU, I've been to LSU. There is not a school that has better facilities in all sports. I'm not talking about just football. I'm talking about softball, baseball. It's arguably the best facilities in the country. He helped build that with fund, uh, fund uh, fundraising. Uh, he's very. He was on the committee for all their hires in the Olympic sports and the basketball coach. He's obviously played for Billy Donovan at Florida. So he has a basketball background. Hmm. But obviously being at LSU football, I've been told, People that know Eddie Nunez very closely, he is basically very much like Danny White. So if if UCF is looking for somebody just like Danny White that's not related to Danny White, that Eddie Nunez could be that guy because he's got the charisma, the personality, and he's got the clout. Remember, Greg Sankey has spoken very high uh, regards about him. He's very well-respected, and uh, so I think he's a name to watch uh, that stands out. Uh, I've heard Mark not the Buffalo AD. Could it be that UCF goes back-to-back ADs from Buffalo for hires? Who knows?
1: Buffalo-UCF uh, pipeline.
2: Right, there you go. Doug Gillen, AD at Appalachian State, is a name that's been floated. But again, these are just rumors and floated. Zach Selman is a senior associate AD at Oklahoma is another name. But again, these are just names that are being floated. We don't know who's the lead candidate. Credit to UCF. Credit to everybody involved. They've kept it pretty much hushed. So there's not, hey, this is the clear-cut guy. This is not... One thing it's for sure, this is totally different than six years ago where it was pretty much well known that this was Danny White's job to lose, basically.
1: Yeah, okay. So so you're thinking, I remember about a week ago people were thinking maybe the end of this week, it's Thursday, February 4th now. I don't, yeah. So you're thinking you're not, we're not going to hear anything Friday. We're going <laughs> to probably hear something early next week, would, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah,
2: my theory on this whole thing was if this came out Friday, my thought is, it was probably gonna be Scott Carr. If it goes into next week, it's probably gonna be somebody that's not Scott Carr. That's kind of how I've okay. I've kind of always thought about this. So if it comes if we hear something Friday, it's likely somebody internal like a Scott Carr. If it's next week, I think it's likely somebody from the outside. Okay. That's but that's just speculation on my part. But I if I had to bet money, I would think it's a more of a Monday, Tuesday, which would make sense. Think about it from a, a process. If you decide on who the person is, let's say they decide on Friday, you probably want to offer the job over the weekend. Or maybe they want to think it over over the weekend. If you're Cartwright and the people in the search, you want to think about who do you want to pick and then you make the offer on Monday. So it depends on your school of thought. So
1: does this have any bearing on the football head coach position?
2: Well, obviously, whoever gets it, then the question becomes: Well, who are they interested in the head coaching job? Now, the firm that they uh, they and you guys know the firm better than I do. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the firm. They Z-R- are ZRG Turnkey. Yeah, Turnkey ZRG. Yeah. yeah. So, I, from what I understand, they're also a piling up names for the candidates for the head coach. Doesn't mean that they're interviewing head coaches because obviously they're going to have the AD in place first, but. I would, as I've said on this podcast, I would be surprised that whoever the AD is that gets hired doesn't already have a couple names in the back of his of that person's mind of who they have in mind as far as the head coach is. So, for example, I'll just throw a hypothetical. Uh, If Zach Selman ends up being the guy from Oklahoma, I think a name that you got to watch is Grinch, the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, who is very a hot name right now in the industry. I would not be surprised if it's something like that because that's a package deal right there. Grinch mm-hmm. is already at Oklahoma. Zelman knows him; they're comfortable with. So that's an example. If it's him, this is just speculation. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is if it's somebody like Nunez, I, that might be the one case, ironically enough, where there may not be a direct connection right away. He might just go with the best guy mm-hmm. uh, because. From well, what he, he told, just
1: hired a young coach in uh, over at New Mexico. I think Danny Gonzalez, G- Danny Mexico, Gonzalez, yes. who's just just right. finished his first year out in Albuquerque. Yeah,
2: correct. I don't expect that to be a candidate here. Gonzalez is an alum of New Mexico. He played in you know Mexico. Obviously, he's coached there, so I don't think that would be a candidate. Although New Mexico's had a lot of issues with COVID as far as being in that area and state and restrictions and things like that. So you never know. The irony is, from what I was told, is. If Nunez, let's say Nunez was the AD here maybe two years ago, three years ago, the guy he probably would have picked is Dave Aranda, who's now the Baylor head coach and was the defensive coordinator at LSU. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't expect the Dave Aranda type to come to UCF from Baylor. But is there somebody within that LSU tree uh, that might come? Who knows? I think it could be somebody with SEC ties, which – for all you Jeff Lebby fans, that's good news because technically <laughs> Lebby's an SEC guy right now. So, um, so I don't Not know. technically, that, he's I, actually an SEC guy right now. <laughs> right. So who knows? Again, though, I, it, the football thing, until we know, we have a clear answer, who is the next athletic director at UCF, who is the next AD, I think once we know, we can try to, try to figure out and, and connect the dots to see who possibly would be the next head coach. But until we – I think – and UCF's doing this correctly – they're doing the process and they're getting the ad in place first then they're going to get the head coach and i think again the timeline is i think the ad job gets filled up if not by friday even they'll make a decision either by friday or if not early next week monday tuesday range and then i think the head coaching job possibly will come maybe next friday or if not that following monday range i think that's your timeline and Mm. then this you is know, some
1: juicy stuff, Lopez. This is great. God I love, I love it. this stuff, man. This is good stuff. I mean, I wish we did this twelve months a year. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> All right. Well well let me let, let me switch gears over to Murph here because uh you know, Are Ryan, you a
2: Kennedy Murph?
1: No. <laughs> no, no. But uh, uh
2: I,
0: I don't even I don't I don't even have a joke.
1: For it. <laughs> no, I well I do. I mean I mean let's face it, whoever the new AD is, I mean maybe they don't even need to hire a head football coach because UCF just got a four-star recruit without a head coach. How about that? Uh <laughs> this past Wednesday was old national signing day. Is that what we're called? LA? Old National Signing Day, right? Because the early it's, signing period is in December.
0: Yeah. It's you know? like it's like it's not, yeah. It, it's like signing day part two. Yeah. Uh, it's miniature, It's like miniature signing day now. Like, what was signing day is, like, not really signing day anymore. Right. Yeah, which is, you know, it's,
1: which is fine. But um, yeah. Titus Mokiao Atimalala, 6'1", 170, officially listed as an athlete, but he was a wide receiver in safety at James Campbell High School in Ua Beach, Hawaii. Um, we talked about this earlier on the site, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of noteworthy, Brian, that UCF was able to pull in a guy who is rated – Four stars. Not that I care about stars, because as I as I see as I said as I've said many times before, like I think the whole recruiting ranking system is a gigantic racket. But um, this guy is the fourth leading career receiver in high school history in the state of Hawaii. 170 catches, 2,915 yards, and 37 touchdowns in 32 games. Um, was the uh, 2019 Player of the Year uh, from K H O N News in Honolulu? This guy's got all the it, it, all of the of the stats and things that you want from a receiver of this kind. I've seen his highlights. He's super fast, super physical. I think I don't think he gets that much credit for that. Uh, and then UCF also signed. Uh, <laughs> how about following up this act with Thomas Zion, a defensive tackle, 6'2", 260, out of Atlantic High School in Delray Beach. Uh, Florida. But
0: it's actually, it's actually Zion Thomas, but. Oh, Zion you know. Thomas. Okay.
1: I'm sorry. Uh, Zion, sorry, Zion, <laughs> but all right, Titus and Zion close out the class. Um, mm-hmm. how did, how did UCF pull this off with no head coach?
0: Well, uh, okay. Well, there's two different, there's two different stories to each player. So the, and they're kind of, they're both, they're both pretty simple. So I'll run through it. But Titus is here because of Dylan Gabriel. Okay. Let's be frank. Like, Dylan uh, has, I think, pushed really, really hard to get uh, to get fellow Hawaiians to join him here at UCF. And he sort of has been really, really wanting Titus to come over here. Uh, and so I think that's how you, this really gets done. Like, if Dylan Gabriel is not here and if Titus, you know, doesn't have that connection, that familiarity um, to know that I'm going to go play with somebody who's going to throw me the ball who I, you know, have known for years – uh, then, then no then he probably doesn't come here so that's how UCF gets a four star wideout uh without a head coach because their quarterback basically did the recruiting himself uh I and so there's that um the Zion timers the Zion timers thing he was actually I have a funny story here he was actually basically he's he's been under wraps since early signing day and so I remember we talked to Shane Burnham defensive line coach after uh, the early after the, a couple of days after the early signing period on December sixteenth, and so we're, we're running through the defensive linemen that UCF has signed, like Matthew Alexander uh, and Malachi Lawrence, Javion Gill, bunch of guys they signed, and so he's running through each name and he brings up Zion, or Zion, and and he's talking about Zion and what he does well and everything like that, and then he stops and there's like a pause and he goes, wait guys, I think I screwed up, <laughs> and that's. That's because Zion didn't actually want to make his commitment known until the latter signing day because I think that I think this day in February would allow him to get together with more people and actually celebrate it more than in the early signing period back in December. So here's Burnham going on and on and on and on about this kid that they basically (laughs) they know they've signed, but he can't say anything about that. Oopsie. And yet he forgets to keep it under wraps. And so basically we had like we they like you can go back. I know they they have all the videos from all, all the press conferences all year long on the on the UCF Athletics YouTube. Like you can go back. I believe it was December eighteenth when this happened, uh, and that's that 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 portion of it has been completely omitted from the tape <laughs> because that was not supposed to be a public record. Um, so yeah, the Thomas thing has been has been finished for a while, um, but Dylan Gabriel is the reason why they they got Titus.
1: All right, so. Uh, just a quick question about Titus. All right, I'm seeing six one one seventy. That is, that, that's the exact same size as Trey Nixon, right? So, it, yeah. so are we expecting? Are we expecting him to basically be Trey Nixon's replacement?
0: Doesn't he look like Trey Nixon too? Like, it's sort of like his gait and the way he runs? Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm
1: like, I, I really, I did look at the YouTube video and I'm like, that's Trey Nixon.
0: <laughs> I did. Yeah, now UCF lists, lists Trey at six two. But like he looks like Trey and he's much more of a deep ball threat uh, down the field guy than, you know, sort of the quick crossing you know, routes guy, quick screen routes guy, uh, which is what Trey specialized in as well. So, yeah, this I mean, uh, they needed a wide receiver. They need a deep threat. But I did not expect that. I did not expect, you know, Titus to look so much like Trey Nixon. He really does. And I guess that skill set does. Match up well with him too. What?
1: That's really interesting. Uh, well, all right. So the recruiting, so the recruiting class is all set. Um, I don't think we'll see any more uh, later signings, even though it is a signing period. But you know, everyone wants to sign up early, and I think that's pretty much done. So, so now we wait for uh, spring ball and see what happens with that. So it'll be weird, I'm sure. But you know, hey, um,
0: I we're mean, all in it, I right? mean, I know we, we talked about uh, you know when the AD is going to you know be hired and everything. Because we're recording this podcast on Thursday now at noon, like I feel like the hiring has to come tomorrow. That's the way this thing works. When we record a show, big that's things happen. A, right, like,
2: that's a good point. Immediately after, yeah.
1: we stop recording. It's yeah, it, it's it, now now we've already set the standard. So, if that if that is the case, make sure you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez. And we'll
2: try to break the story like we did with the biggest story. Forget this AD search. Forget the head coach. Oh coaching yeah, search. some scoopage. The big yeah, some scoopage right. this week.
1: Okay, let's talk about that real quick. So, so a little a little shoe leather journalism, Murph, always gets the job done. So Parker Boudreaux, all right. We looked at the UCF roster. We noticed that he wasn't there. Um. Is he it is uh, so, so what what's the story? Is he is he are we gonna see him on NXT next Thursday? Like what's the deal?
2: Why are you throwing it to me? Wow, what a slap in the face, Murph getting the wrestling questions well, unbelievable. Okay, okay. Eric
1: Lopez, you were on you were on this. A little shoe leather journalism by you. Uh,
2: <laughs> Jesus. So what do we, what do we know? What do we know about Parker Boudreaux? Right right so, so this is what we know. Uh, like you mentioned, he is not on the UCF football roster. Uh, that was confirmed. We confirmed it with the multiple people on that. That, that was the, the most important. That was confirmed part. to not, us by, by UCF, right? Uh, yeah, that's kind of important people. Uh, yeah, so we
1: that's, did, we, that's as good it's a confirmation called, as it gets. It's
2: called <laughs> journalism. It's old school journalism. Uh, if you will. Why did you, why, say, why did you say journalism like a Cajun lawyer? I was trying to do a Dusty Rhodes impression and it just okay. didn't work out. Um, so, because, so, your you know, Dusty, Dusty
1: Rhodes impression sounds like a crazy Because, You know, liar. Jeff okay.
2: brought up NXT. They're doing a Dusty Classic. So, uh, Parker posted a photo on Sunday during the Royal Rumble with Eva Marie, who is a former WWE superstar, female, who has been rumored to come back to WWE, has not come back yet, but has been rumored to. And so, Parker, and he's even changed his deal where he's now in California. Uh, there was kind of a bogus report about possibly him debuting with Brock Lesnar as his son. I debunk all that stuff, but I do think is this: I do think he has a wrestling contract, and my my I think what happened here is I think the WWE said we will we want you now, forego your eligibility at football. And you could train with us, and we might even have a spot for you, an on-air role. Because one of the things WWE has done is, just because you're, devel- you're a developmental guy, does not mean you can't be on camera. Uh, for example, an AJ Styles currently right now has this guy that's a bodyguard, Osmo. His name is Osmos so I forget what his name is, but he's seven feet tall. <laughs> he's a, de- he's a, de- a big, tall guy. Well, he's more of a, de- uh, a de- you know guy that's just developing still. But... He has an on-air character. He's basically like the bodyguard for AJ Styles. So I wouldn't be surprised if Parker at some point this year debuts on TV but not necessarily wrestle. So I think he's in wrestling. Um, I don't think we're going to see him on UCF football unless something just goes south as far as the wrestling is concerned. So let me ask you a question. All right, So let's say
1: Parker Bedreau signs a contract. All right, yep. And then he begins his process of training. How long does the training process take before they feel like, okay, you're ready for prime time?
2: Each individual is different. I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but it is true. Some guys, like Kurt Angle, for example, was fast. Like he was one Well, of the he, was, he was
1: an Olympic wrestler. I mean, he knew right, how to wrestle. Right,
2: right, but he figured it out. He figured out the differences and things like that. Brock Lesnar obviously is another example, but you're right, they had a background. Some guys, it takes them a while. So, really, that's going to be up to Parker. How much can he grasp quickly? The thing that works in his advantage, and Murph knows this from covering wrestling like I have, he has a great physique, and he has a great look, and WWE loves that.
1: So they will <laughs> well, be- Vince really loves that. I know that.
2: Right. Vince, so it-
0: Vince, Vince McMahon likes big, beefy men. That is something I think we can all say without a shadow of a doubt. That's-
2: <laughs> Correct. So... Uh, From that standpoint, I think he will get a quicker look than, say, our boy Cal Bloom, for example. I think Parker, believe it or not, is probably a bigger prospect than Cal Bloom because of the physique. Now, that's been a controversial thing in the industry. Some people are bothered by that because, obviously, there's a lot of talented guys that are not very tall. And some would argue that's kind of hurt the industry right now because we keep giving big physique guys title shots that Murph hates, like Goldberg, every year. Right, Murph?
0: Well, Goldberg should have been put out to pasture
2: for 20 years. There you go. I just want to get Well, yeah. Well, you're
1: talking about guys like my dude CM Punk, right?
2: Correct. That's a great example. CM Punk was a guy who's not a big physique guy, and he felt he got shortchanged because of that, among other many different things that we just won't get into because this is not a wrestling podcast. But um, nonetheless. (laughs) uh, Yeah, against the will of some. But anyway.
0: It, yeah, it, it will be one once Parker Boudreaux uh, yeah. debuted.
2: <laughs> right. Anyway. So the, so the question is going to be when does he debut? I personally think uh, if he does debut, it's going to be NXT unless they go with a big storyline in WWE where he's maybe like – do they go? I don't know if they're going to go with – I don't really buy the fact they're going to go with the, the angle of him being the son of Brock Lesnar. That's I don't. Stupid. That's it, I just think you're, you're, but, but, but then again, Murph, this yeah. is the creative writing that WWE has been doing. I,
1: I have no opinion about it.
2: So it is. I
0: mean, the writing, the writing is crap. But
2: that is a ridiculous, uh, trash angle. But that would get him TV quicker <laughs> if they went that route. The other angle, he did pose with Eva Marie. If Eva Marie were to come back, could Parker be like her sidekick, if you will, some type of side role? not necessarily bodyguard. right. bodyguards. And like, right, yeah, right. Not necessarily wrestle, but just be on TV and get exposure that way while behind the scenes he's developing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a Braun Strowman who used to be with the Wyatt family but didn't wrestle much, but he was a big seven-foot guy and he was like a big presence. Maybe that's what they have in line. I think it'll happen at some point this year. I don't know how soon. There were reports from wrestling sites that he was backstage at NXT January 20th. Uh, that's been reported by multiple sites. So, I if I had to guess, he probably signed something right around that time period, which probably would explain why he's no longer in the UCF roster. I'm disappointed in you, Jeffrey, because a lot of this stuff is going around your backyard there at Full sale. Be on the lookout, man. Come on. I've been I
1: I haven't been in my office like since March. Like Uh-oh, they sent me home.
2: Excuse me. You know, I, I have version. no
1: insider information here.
2: Unbelievable. Oh, so anyway. that's unbelievable. So we'll see what happens with that. But po- podcast
0: listeners, contact us unless if you actually enjoy this kind of conversation. If so, we'll have lots more of it.
2: All right, okay. Don't expect him to announce he's and because people are like, don't expect them to announce that he's joined whatever because that's not what you do in wrestling. You want to surprise people. So be careful what you believe on social media from that standpoint. So yeah. that's my advice. All right. Well, uh, you can follow. By way, we got breaking news because uh, you asked me earlier, this is a non-wrestling uh, story. You asked me earlier about the head coaching situation. Mm-hmm. We can officially cross off one guy off the list. Tony Elliott has just signed a contract extension with Clemson. He will be staying. He's the offensive coordinator. He is going to stay at Clemson through 2026. After July 1st, he will be start making $2 million a uh, year.
1: I was going to say, he's probably making a lot more money after that. After that, so. Yep.
2: So we can scratch him off the list. All
1: right, so Tony Elliott's out. Well, we know that much. Process of elimination. Everybody else, still in. All right, uh, take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk hoops. Men's hoops, what's going on? Uh, Brian's going to break that down, and then Eric and I are also going to break down women's hoops who are struggling with COVID right now. And what does that mean for both these teams as we now approach? Uh, we're heading toward mid-February. So, All right, we'll be right back. It's the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Let's turn our attention to basketball. And it's, uh, well, it's been a rough ride for uh, Johnny Dawkins and the men's team. Um, we knew this would be the hard part of the schedule, um, where UCF is now uh, in the through three of a four-game stretch over eight days. And uh, after the win at home against ECU on the 27th of January, they go at Wichita and then at Memphis for two in a row. Remember that one of them is the makeup game from the Memphis game that was supposed to be in Orlando but was but was wiped due to COVID, so they moved it to Memphis. So it's like a back to back there, and then UCF has yet to face Tulsa on the sixth, uh, which is Saturday. But uh, the Knights have lost all three games on the road so far. Right now, this team's in 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 a rough spot. They uh, have lost eight of the last nine. Um, going back to the Houston game, which was before New Year's Day. I mean, it's hard to believe at the time when, you know, when they beat Florida State, like you were telling me off-air, Murph. And when they, were in, they beat Florida State and Tallahassee. They beat Cincinnati at home, and this team yep. was 3-1. and one, and, we're, and if you told me that they would be 4-9 and nine at this point, I would be like, what in the world happened? But um, the Wichita game, so we'll, you know, real quick, just to recap, the Wichita game, 93-88 in overtime. Um, in a very curious game, how it played out. Then they go to Memphis. They get blown out on um, on Monday, uh, 96-69, a game that they were just not in from the very start. But then, you know, last night, um, again against Memphis, you know, kind of an odd situation where they're playing them on the same floor twice in 48 hours. And Knights had a lead at some point during this game, and they were they kept fighting and kept fighting, but ultimately Memphis just had their number in the final was 75-61. I mean, it's good to see the pride that they had and actually, you know, and not rolling over to a team that really rolled them a couple days later, a couple days earlier rather. But anyway, what are we, what's going on with this team right now? What are we, what are we learning? What is going wrong?
0: Well, Jeff, <clears throat> on this road trip, this team has now committed, uh, doing the quick math in my head, I believe it's 72 turnovers in three games. Oh, boy. That is rough. And, again, this is sort of an issue that we've been dealing with all season uh, with, you know, Dre Fuller sort of playing out of position at the point because well, Darius Perry was was hurt early on, and uh, then he was sidelined for a little bit during the season. Uh, Tony Johnson's been out for the entire year, and, and now that loss to Tony Johnson is, like, magneti- it's like, it's like magnified every game uh, because, boy, this team could use, another point, uh, use a guy who could really handle the ball. Other than Darius Perry, and they don't have one. Um, you know what? What the most interesting part of this road trip to me has been the Wichita. what well, was the Wichita State game on Saturday? It's a game that they should have won, like hands down, up by eight at the under four timeout. Uh, and I, I remember tweeting at that time, all they have to do is hang on to the ball because they were having some turnover issues. They ended up turning the ball over 23 times in that game against Wichita State, which at that which at that point was the season high. And so I'm like, just hang on to the ball. Sure enough, they come out of the timeout, which Utah State starts to press them, and they turn the, they turn the ball over on four consecutive possessions. Uh. And during this time, Darius Perry does not come off the bench. And he he's a, you imagine he's the guy you want on the floor to sort of steady things. They leave Dre Fuller in at the point. Darius Perry plays hardly at all in the second half and only comes into the game at the very end of overtime. And so uh, it was just amazing to see how it all unraveled so very quickly, but then it just seemed like there was such an easy way to solve it if they had put their better ball handler on the floor. Um, but, you know, they go into overtime. They're up by five in overtime with two and a half to play. And sure enough, they, they can't hold on to that either, and they end up losing to uh, Wichita State. After the game, we asked Johnny Dawkins his decision to stick with Trey Fuller at the point, not play Darius Perry, and he was pretty simple about it. He just said that Dre was playing better, deserved to be on the floor. Um, I asked Johnny what he thought of, about Dre Fuller's ball handling, said he's getting better, um, still, still making too many mistakes, yada, yada, yada. And I don't mean to be flippant about that, but the fact is I don't understand what he was seeing. I really don't. I don't, I don't understand what Johnny was seeing in that game to make him believe that Darius or that Dre Fuller was the better point guard to have on the floor at that time. We've talked all season and Johnny has too about how Dre is playing out of position at the point. They're 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 having to put him there out of necessity because they only have one true point guard on this roster. So when Dre is out when when Darius is out of the game, Dre has to go there. And so but but when you have Darius available to sort of not put him on the floor when you know which top state's going to press and and you squander both of these leads it really boggles the mind and, and so the explanation wasn't very satisfying it's one of the very few times that I can ever remember disagreeing about with Johnny Dawkins about any of his coaching decisions um you know I we I, we, I think we've been a big proponent of, of Dawkins how he doesn't get enough credit for what he's done for this program the success they've had uh even in their down years they've still been pretty successful um and but this game to to leave Dre Fuller out there Knowing that they were knowing that Wichita was going to ramp up the pressure, um, it just seemed like coaching malpractice. I, I just didn't understand it. Um, yeah.
1: Well, it 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 the, the lack of a point guard, I think, right now, aside from Darius, is really. I, I mean, the numbers bear out that it really is hurting UCF right now, and we, you can see that in the statistics. Right now, UCF is 327th in the country in assist to turnover ratio. They're um, Three, tied for 303rd in assists. Uh, when you look at the conference um, uh, statistics, they're last in the American in assists, last in the American in turnover margin, last in assist to turnover ratio. I mean, it just, it, it it's all, it, and, and there's, there's really no other way I can, you know, anyone can explain it other than, you know, there's only one Darius Perry. And I think that also speaks to, how important Tony Johnson was going to figure in Johnny Hawkins' plans this year, and then when he went down, you know, at halftime in that freak injury during the Auburn game, you know, even though UCF won three of their first four, including that opener, um, boy, it just—it's this team is just hurting for somebody who can, who can, who can handle the ball and handle the ball uh, and, and and take good care of it. And, and and what's and the hard part about this too, and Murph, I wonder what you think about this is that it. it it forces Darius to make, I think, some or to take some risks that you know he might not be comfortable making. Yeah, he's a senior and he's an experienced point guard, but you know, it, but that also shows you that he knows, you know, what he can do and what what he should do and what he shouldn't do. And when this team is behind, they're turning the ball over. You know, it, it's especially late in games. I feel like he has, he feels like he has to take over, and. It's not, and it's just, and it's just not working. God bless him. He's, you know, he's doing what he can out there. But there's only one of them, right?
0: Exactly. And let's not absolve Darius from this. I mean, it's not like he has been uh, Magic Johnson out there. He's he's certainly had his problems and with hanging on the ball, making the right decision. Darius, I believe, has 14 turnovers in his last four games. Uh, So it's not like he's been perfect. Um, But again, if you, I just in that situation. When you can go get a win at Wichita State and you know they're going to ramp up the pressure. And even when they start ramping, ramping up, up, the, up the pressure out of the, out of the last timeout, out of the last media timeout, then you have to make, make a decision to put Darius out there to put your better ball handler on the floor. I, I, I don't I, – I just I, – it just made no sense. It really didn't. Um, and, and you're probably right. He puts a little too much pressure on himself. And then, and then it compounds everything because now – as we saw, at least in the first game against Memphis, when you have turned it over against Memphis early on, it was a, a cavalcade of errors. They had almost 20 turnovers in the first half alone, 28 for the game. They would turn it over, and you could see the the the, the lack of energy to get back on defense, and that happened to them a few times. They got run out when they could have gotten back uh, three or four times in that game against Memphis on Monday. Uh, so, it, it, so you don't want that to bleed over, and then. To their credit, it really didn't bleed over on Wednesday night where they played better. You talk about they had a, they had a slight lead in that game uh, for a little bit, like 90 seconds, I believe. But they were down by four in the latter stages of the second half, twice. Uh, Memphis came back uh, each time when they cut the deficit to four to get a basket to put it back up to six. And then there was a stretch there with about four or five minutes remaining in which UCF committed back back turnovers. That Memphis scored directly off of quickly, and it was a 10-point game all of a sudden, and it was out of reach. But at least the UCF showed more effort, showed more energy. Uh, they did better against Memphis's press on Wednesday than they did on Monday. Um, really, it's you know, more than just the turnovers. You know, they shot 4 for 23 from three-point range, and I know this team. I, I, we don't view this team as a, a, a three-point dynamo. But they've shot it pretty well from above, the, from above the arc this season. I believe it's above 35%. Um, and so for them to go 4-for-23, that really sunk their chance.
1: Yeah, that's a rarity, too. Um, now, one of the bright spots, I will say, that came out from the last three games is Jameel Reynolds, who scored 29 points in this, in this three-game stretch, including 17 against Wichita. That was kind of his uh, coming-out party. He was fantastic in that game, coming off the bench, 7-9 of from the field. He was also three of five um, at the line, pulled down eight rebounds. And he's worked his way into the starting five. He actually got the start um, last night in the second Memphis game. Um, what are you seeing from him? What's been the big difference with Jamil Reynolds so far in these last three games?
0: Well, he's done his job when he is matched up against smaller teams. And you've seen that against ECU and against Wichita State. Teams that don't really have a true, like, like old school five. Teams that don't have a ton of size, uh, and so that was that was impressive to see because you need to see him do that and and know as a freshman that he can impose his will and his body at times against smaller teams. Like it takes time for you know kids on this level to learn that, and I think he has a good understanding of just his, his size and his width and what he can do with his body uh, when when he's matched up against a guy who's you know his height or less than. Um, the Memphis game was a little bit. Memphis games were more of a challenge because he's at many times matching with Musa Sise, who we talked about going back to the preseason. He's a, a big, uh, much much hyped freshman for Memphis this year. Yeah. We can see, we can see pick. why <laughs> he was good. Yeah. <laughs> he was very good. He was very good, uh, especially on Wednesday night. I thought he was really good. Uh, but you could he could be an NBA draft pick this year. His stock has kind of fallen because he doesn't really have an offensive game. Outside of three or four feet. Um, but defensively, he's a total game changer. He blocked a number of shots, critical shots on Wednesday night. And when Jameel's going up against him, it's different now because, you know, he, he doesn't see a lot of guys in the American with a 7 2 wingspan. Uh, and, and that's what Moose brings to you. I thought, still, for again, for what Jameel is right now, I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. Uh, I thought when he had the chance to go in there and sort of bowl his way and play some bully ball, he did that. Um, he he really is. He's their he's their best. He's their best big man right now. I mean, I, you know, C.J. Walker is is a, you know very fierce rebounder and had a nice game on Wednesday night. But their best big man right now is Jamil Reynolds.
1: Yeah. Well, I I I think we should pay some compliments to C.J. because he's, you know. Obviously, he's still feeling it out offensively, but I think he's become more aggressive in these last couple games, especially getting out on the break. It's been really fun seeing, seeing him get out and run. And, boy, he is fun to watch on the rebounding side. I never thought I'd ever say that about a player, like, you know, that it's fun to watch them rebound. It is fun to watch him rebound. He gets yeah. up and just commands the presence down low.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's kind of a maniac when it goes up to rebound. I mean, oh, it's, it's
1: great. It's, I love it. it.
0: Maybe it's the hair, too, because it's all flopping around and whatever, but, like... <laughs> He is. He's all arms and legs, and he just goes up there with with a lot of tenacity. Uh, what you don't want is him, like, handling the ball, like, outside of five feet because uh, then it gets kind of messy. Yeah. But in close to the rim, he can do that. And that's what kind of what he did on Wednesday night. UCF did a really good job of breaking press uh, on Wednesday, we were able to get up the floor quickly and, and get the ball into CJ's hands for, like, easy dunks. And that's basically how he got to his 15 points, which I believe were – well, it was a season high, so it was most at UCF and his second most uh, in his college career if you include last season at Oregon. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it was at least good to see UCF show improvement on that end because with, there, there's a pretty easy book on how to guard this team right now, and it's you pressure them as much as possible. So the more they can show that they can withstand that pressure and then break it and leave the easy hoops, uh, that that bodes well for the future. You know, now you've got to shore up your defensive end.
1: Yeah, well, I'm re- I'm really looking forward to seeing. It. I-, I think when- those two guys right there, Jamil Reynolds and C.J. Walker, next year. Oh boy, that's going to be that's going to be a problem in the front line again, for anybody.
0: I mean, and Isaiah, you know, Isaiah Adams has had a really tough time here against Memphis, but let's not forget about him. He was very good against Wichita State. Yeah, you know, he's, show- he's showing major flashes. That-, that was his best game, uh,
1: I thought, since Florida State, right?
0: Yeah, I would say so. Oh, say- he and Jamil Reynolds, it was amazing. Uh, in that game against Wichita State, I think at one point <clears throat> they were 12 for 16 for 26 points and 10 rebounds at some point in the second half combined. And, like, those are, those are true freshmen. Uh, yeah. And so you got, you know, we don't know, you know, who could, you know, if anybody leaves early or whatever, whatever, whatever. But let's say they don't. You've got TJ Walker's a sophomore, Darren, Darren Green's a sophomore, uh, uh, Dre Fuller Jr.'s a redshirt sophomore. And then you've got the freshmen. Uh, You know, with with uh, with with Jameel and Isaiah and Tony Johnson's a sophomore. I mean, it's a lot of young, a lot of young young talent on this roster.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's look ahead to see what they've got coming up, because it's they play at Tulsa on Saturday, 6 p.m. ESPN 2 or U. They haven't picked which one they're going to do that one. And then they're back home for Wichita on Wednesday at 7 uh, and that's on ESPN Plus. So um, you know, right now I haven't actually I haven't even looked at the standings in the American, unfortunately. But you know, well,
0: they're closer. They're closer now than they were 24 hours ago. Yeah, because <laughs> because Houston went into East Carolina, the number five ranked Houston group was went into East Carolina and lost. To the Pirates. I don't I don't understand
1: I, I saw your tweet last night too from this and he was like, he's like you're like I don't get this and I'm like I I, I got nothing man I don't know how ECU who's you know eight and six I mean okay they're decent but you know two and six in the league you know I you know the one thing that I think kind of frightened me a little bit about ECU when we played them a couple uh you know last week was they are a big team they have I think three guys who are seven feet tall two of them play regularly And I guess that just really bothered Houston. Um, But now Houston and Wichita are tied in the loss column, and um, you know Tulsa right now—they're actually having a pretty decent year, six and five in the conference, nine and seven overall. And you know, but you know, we saw you know from what UCF did was Wichita could be had. um, If you get them, and I certainly think that they could be had here in Orlando. That's not going to make the game easy, but you know. I don't know, this conference just got
0: I think you're right. This conference just got a little bit tighter, didn't it? Yeah, I mean I I, I don't think we want to draw too many conclusions off of one game. It's oh, just why amazing. would we not want to do that, Brian? Come I, I on. know, I know. It's usually what we all want to do. <laughs> I mean it's just an amazing it's an amazing end point. It's amazing data point of like remember that one time where like Houston went to Greenville against a team that UCF had just beat, uh, and, and then lost to them? Like that's just yeah. nuts. I mean you know, I don't I don't think we're I don't think all of a sudden we need to re-examine this conference. Uh, it's it's still Houston's to win by a large margin. They're by far the best team. It's not close. Um, but it makes things a little more interesting in the standings. Uh, you know, we talked last week about who's the second-best team in this conference between SMU, Wichita State, Memphis. Uh, I mean, the way Memphis is playing not only against UCF, but the way that Memphis is playing defense this year along with their sort of up-tempo style of offense – uh, they they looked really impressive. Like their defense this year is no joke at all. Uh, and so maybe maybe they're number two, but it, at least it's a little bit closer in the standings. That makes it fun. Yeah. Well,
1: Memphis, believe it or not, they're only fifth in the conference in field goal percentage defense. Or excuse me, no, I'm looking at what am I doing? I'm looking at the wrong stats. That's completely <laughs> wrong. Um, but uh, but yeah, they're they're. Um, yeah, that, that team is going to be – I mean, we knew they were going to be talented and, and here they there. So it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All right. Uh, let's switch gears over to uh, the women's team. Lopez, you're here, right? Where'd you go? Damn. Hey, there he is.
2: I'm, I'm just – you know, while you guys are taking care of basketball, you know, I'm a team player. You know, while Murph was covering men's basketball, I was watching NXT just for Parker Boudreaux uh, watch, you know. <laughs> oh, watch. boy. Go i ahead. hope you guys appreciate the sacrifices i do for all yes, of
1: you yes yes i appreciate the sac- the tremendous sacrifice you're making watching professional wrestling but i want to talk about uh the women's team here because lo and behold COVID has caught the knights uh three games postponed on the slate um obviously their uh last game that they played i'm just gonna pull up the schedule where is it i think i lost it but um, they've had three games actually postponed due to COVID nineteen, including the Super Bowl Sunday game at noon against yeah. USA. Yeah. That's a huge bummer because you know they're nine and two right now, five and one at home, seven and one in the league. But um, their last game was last Wednesday against ECU, so they lost the game at Wichita. They lost the game at Memphis, and they are not lost, but they, they get, those games were canceled or postponed rather. And then the South Florida game got postponed too. So right now their next. Slated game is Wednesday, uh, February tenth next week against at home against Wichita State, which is supposed to be the return game. The other games have not been rescheduled yet. Um, I, I'll put it to you, uh, Eric. What what does this do to this team now? That was riding pretty high. They won four in a row. Their only loss was to three was by three at Temple in conference, which is freaking Temple. They just I don't know. I, It'd be great if we just never played there ever again, but um, yeah, I mean this this puts this puts this season right now on the brakes, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and it's really unfortunate because they were headed to a showdown with USF at home. There was going to be that you know this is really for the conference title, and yeah. now ESPN two and everything. Right now, the big question's going to be they're going to reschedule it. The question is where do the you know, when do they reschedule that game? When does it get played and where does it get played? That's my big concern. I mean, we saw what they did with the men. I mean mm-hmm. you know, I mean they decided, hey, let's move the Memphis home game over to Memphis for back to back. I hope they don't do that for the USF. I don't think they should. Uh um, yeah, that's
1: a shorter that's a shorter it, trip obviously right. than Memphis. But, and-
2: but now you've got this Wichita State game you gotta reschedule. You got this Memphis game, so it's gonna get backloaded. And it's going to be interesting, but I'm really more interested to see where does this USF game gets scheduled. Could it be back-to-back games against the Bulls to finish the season? I don't know. They're going to have to figure all that out. The good news is, you know, once obviously, unfortunately, they uh, you know had to scrap the Wichita State and Memphis game. I'm kind of glad they scrapped the USF game because I think that would have been a really bad uh, setup. To because think about it. If you got COVID, you're not practicing. Yeah. So it's not people forget that. It's not that you can't, just can't play games. You can't practice. Um, so now you would have lost practice time, and, you're tra- and we saw how the men came out when they had the long layoff at Temple, and they had the rust. I think you would have seen the same thing with them against USF, which would have been a bad recipe there. So at yeah. least they get that push back. But man, I am curious to see what they're going to do with this schedule, because we're now in Feb. We're now getting to the middle of February. You're going to start running out of dates to make up games. Yeah. And and remember, UCF is on the fringe of making the NCAA tournament. They were in the last team in under uh, uh, you know Charlie Cream. So now their schedule is probably going to be backloaded. Are these two games going to be added on the road? And if so, that's going to create more travel. So this is a concern moving forward long term. But the main thing is you hope they're healthy. And uh, you hope they're at full strength by the time, whenever they get back on the court.
1: All right. So I'm checking the standings right now. UCF is in second place, alone in second place. They have, they have they're seven and one. USF is in first. They're undefeated in conference and ten and one overall, seven and zero in the league. Now this is interesting. I saw this at the bottom. Did you see this at the bottom of the standings? The American has declared a forfeit win for USF against Memphis for conference standing purposes only. As a result of the scheduled game from January 17th that was not played, the team's overall records are not affected. Now Memphis was two and is now two and four in the league, but I think that's actually an interesting call there by the by the league in terms of it, 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 like them actually doing that. It's, I've never seen that before. Do, you know, how do you think that th- well, that now, might now, play into they, it with they... UCF?
2: So that's very interesting. But again. We're now in February, and I'm, and, and this might apply to the men's side too. Is if we start, if we see more postponements, we might see similar things happen here because again, you're running out of dates to make up games.
1: Mm-hmm. One last note on the women's team too. You know that this is the number two team in the country in scoring defense. They're averaging yep. giving up forty nine point one points per game, and they're third in the country in field goal percentage allowed. They're allowing just 32.3%. And I think that's the one thing, guys, that that I look at and I say, okay, if, if they're going to have a layoff, like, you know how they say defense travels well? Well, I think defense actually, you know, gets through COVID delays well overall. So if that's sort of the epicenter of, this, of, the, of the team, then I think that could bode well for UCF when they come back again on February 10th against Wichita State and coincidentally guys that's also exactly two weeks since their last game which was the win against ECU at home so we'll have to wait and see until next week Wichita State that game's on ESPN Plus by the way 5 p.m. on Wednesday uh, on ESPN Plus alright take a break when we come back we'll talk a little bit more uh, grab bag stuff we'll catch you up on volleyball we'll catch you up on tennis and golf um, and uh, a couple other things in the works as well here on Black and Gold Banneret Podcast stick around we'll be right back Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. Follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and BlackandGoldBanneret.com, uh, where we are the home of the UCF Knights on the SB Nation network. All right, uh, some baseball news to talk about. New assistant coach, Greg Lovelay announced the hiring of Chris Cates to be the new volunteer assistant coach. Uh, he replaces Andy Barquette, who moved on to the Chicago. White Sox, uh, Kate's formerly uh, a, a shortstop at Louisville, interesting, from 2004 to 2007. He comes over from the University of Tampa, where he was an assistant before. Uh, but the big news, Brian Murphy, we got to us a baseball schedule, don't we? Yeah, we got it. Let's go.
0: Here we go. Well, games that might be played, or maybe, you know, let's hope. Let's well, see. well we're, all hey. of a sudden, we're two weeks away. We
1: got February 19th. Uh, UCF has uh, three against FAU. Strangely enough, one of them is in Orlando, and then the next two are in Boca. Stetson (laughs) comes to town. Ole Miss is... Or UCF goes to Ole Miss. Liberty's coming here. UNF's coming here. Uh, Jacksonville's coming here. And then they dive into... uh, And then we dive into conference. It's interesting, if you go to the UCF website, they list the the games, the non-conference games individually. And then you get to the conference portion of the schedule... And it looks like they just list them as one game, but actually it just says right below four games in three days. We just don't know exactly how we're going to do that. So, so, but UCF does start the conference season April the 1st at South Florida. And then they have uh, South Florida coming, coming here for four and three on April 16th through April 18th. The season goes through May 22nd. The Knights finish up with Houston also coming here to Orlando, our Wichita State and Memphis. Um, all right. First, look at the schedule, Murph. What do we think? Is this a, is this a, is is there some potential here for some movement in the national picture, or is it pretty much just like, hey, let's just let's just tread water for right now and get to conference play and let the chips fall where they may?
0: Well, I think, like usual, UCF has sort of put together a pretty challenging slate. There are 19 games here against teams. Uh, 19 of the 50, of the 56 games will come against teams that made the tournament the last time we actually had an NCAA baseball tournament in 2019. Uh, You know, they got Ole Miss, who's been a a top-ten team recently, was uh, fantastic last year, has won the the SEC tournament uh, a couple years ago. Liberty's on here. They were a 40-win team uh, a couple years ago. So you know that UCF has always done a pretty good job of putting together a schedule where they face good competition. I think everybody remembers what happened last year with Auburn. Uh, mm-hmm. Down on the down on the plains, and so you're kind of hoping for a repeat here when they travel to Ole Miss from uh, February 26th to the 28th, and you know, then you, you we only have I think six midweek games. It, a lot of this is a, this is a schedule that is very much, you know, booked toward the weekends and grouped together so as that, usually your, your usual midweek opponents, your your FAUs, your Jacksonville stuff like that, those things are now. Those midweek games are, are being basically being put into weekend sets so as to avoid a ton of travel in between facing each other, and that's why you see like FAU—they start here in Orlando on February 19th on a Friday, then they go to Boca for the next two games on Saturday and Sunday. That's because they just they they want to get all those games in with the, with that team, um, but obviously spread it out. You know, you know, two and two for each for each of these opponents. So mm-hmm. two. At home against Jacksonville and, and uh, two at home against FAU. Uh, I believe it's two at home against North Florida. But then they also play there at Jacksonville, at at North Florida, at FAU on the road as well. Yeah. They want to group. They want to group all those games together so that that those those games get get done with, with. You know, without those other teams, you know, traveling somewhere else and possibly you know getting a, a COVID outbreak where the future games would be postponed. So you have a lot of games being clubbed together, and then you know as we talked about since the scheduling format came out back in December, you know, it's going to be four games in three days during the conference slate. The conference slate begins uh, in, in South Florida on April 1st, uh, Thursday through Saturday. So for every conference weekend this year, either if it starts on a Thursday or starts on a Friday, you'll have one game followed by a doubleheader the next day. And then the finale, uh, the fourth game on the third day of the series. So, that Thursday, that the, the the series at USF on April 1st, they would play the doubleheader on Friday, which would be the middle day of the series. Wrap it up on Saturday. Both these series, as is you know per, you know per usual, would be played Friday through Sunday with the doubleheader on Saturday. Um, at least we have a schedule. Let's see if we can actually play it. That'd be great. Um, who knows? Well, we all understand. I think we all understand that uh, we can't take anything for granted.
1: Well, four games in three days is a, is a blast, but like, boy, that's going to take a roll on your pitch. That's going to take a toll on your pitching staff every week, isn't it?
0: Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how, again, Greg Lovelady, you know, wins with his bullpen, always has, and usually has done a really good job of always having a pretty good bullpen. And so, you know, there are some questions there this year with how do they replace Jeffrey Higginson? Get that but the bullpen still looks pretty good. Now it's about how do you go about managing it over the course of these four games in three days that, you know, is going to be something to watch. And and certainly it's going to be something that, you know, I don't know when we're scheduled to talk to Greg Lovelady. He'll be here soon, I imagine, hopefully next week. Uh, But it's one of the first questions you have to ask him is, is uh, this new scheduling format, how does it sort of change, you know, the way you use your bullpen? Sorry about
2: that, Eric. You were going to ask a question. Well, I got to first of all say, I think this is a very creative, one of the more creative schedules under the circumstances we have that I've seen. Because I think part of the reason to doing home and homes like they're doing with FAU and North Florida is you basically all you got to do is bus on the road and back. You're not staying at a hotel. So you're you're saving money that way. And, you're, you know, it's safe, you know, saving as far as the protocols and things like that. So from a financial standpoint, it makes a ton of sense. And you're playing good competition uh, at the same time. And I also think don't you think, Murph, part of this? playing these four games like they are, even if it is home and home is to prep for the conference because the conference is going to be a four game schedule. And I think Greg's the type that wants to prepare for that. And what's unique about this. And I, and I hope we get to talk when we get to talk to him last year, he did a four game series with Sienna and CSUN. So it's not like he's, I think he, I wonder if a part of him likes having four game series instead of having a three game weekend series and a midweek. I think a part of him likes just having the four game series and not have a midweek. I could be wrong. We'll find out when we talk to him, but I, (laughs) but I, I find it very intriguing schedule from that standpoint. And I think it's pretty creative from a let, you know, cost efficient standpoint, safety standpoint, under the circumstances, because he probably had to kind of be on the, in the, on the run, as far as trying to make up some games that, uh, you know, for games he probably lost.
0: I mean, you might like a doubleheader every now and then during the weekend series, sort of get games in. Do you like it eight weekends in a row? Uh, I guess we'll find out. I don't. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, it's it's going to be taxing. I guess the 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 good part there is again, in weeks where you would usually have a midweek game there, uh, you don't because again, those midweek games are all being clustered toward the weekends now. Most of the most of them are being clustered toward the weekends. So once conference play starts in April, April first. Through through May twenty second, those eight weeks they have no mid they have no other midweek games. Uh, so you know you can sort of you know if you can get through if you can get through the the series you know the series Saturday or Sunday whenever it ends, you then do have you know four or five days without another game. So you give guys more rest that way. But still in in the the flow of an actual series, uh, I don't know how much they're gonna love playing. All those double headers on consecutive weekends. By the way, every team in this conference plays each other once. And the only team that UCF will see more than once is, of course, USF. They have a home-and-home. Home. Uh, again, the, they open in, in Tampa on April 1st. The return trip is here April 16th through the 19th. It's kind, it's
2: of, it's kind of like what they did a few years back where they were trying to figure out what do we do with those three extra games, and they just did like, hey, let's do it with the nearest rival. Yeah. I, I know, and Murph, I remember we talked to Greg about this last year. They weren't planning on doing that uh, pre-COVID. In fact, there was I think there was talk they were going to do maybe three or four conference teams in one location. Yeah, it was
1: almost like they were going to do like a jamboree sort of on opening right. weekend, which was kind of cool. Right. Kind of a cool idea, right. I thought.
2: Right. But unfortunately, we can't do that in COVID but,
1: anymore. So yeah.
2: uh, I think they went with the back to what they used to do, which is the close, which I'm OK with. It's fine. Uh, it is what it is. I do. I, I like some of this scheduling. I don't know if this is a one year thing, but I do. I don't mind. Like I said, I don't mind the home and homes for a weekend series. Uh, let's be honest, Murph. I mean, FAU is a little more exciting than, say, Siena, you know,
0: or, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, what I mean, like I'm just saying, let's, uh, let's, Bethune Speak for and- yourself. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, you'd, you'd much rather have more games against FAU or Jacksonville than your uh, Bethune Cookman, you know. And, it's, a- and
2: look, and it's smart from an RPI standpoint. Uh, you're going to play a tough league as it is. You're going to get quality games in the state. Uh, so I, I think under this, I think under the circumstances that we're in, I think Greg did a great job as he did, and he he kind of checked a lot of boxes. From a travel, from a finance standpoint, from a travel standpoint, from a from a competition standpoint, uh, that's a pretty impressive schedule. That's not an easy schedule that you just do in five minutes. Um, in there, by the way, I'm more confident, Murph, that we'll see college baseball than we will major league baseball anytime soon. How about that?
1: Uh, yeah, thanks for putting a damper I, on the whole thing.
2: I don't want to get into that. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot. I just decided to bring that up because. On our YouTube page, on the week of the baseball season starting, we will post our Chad Matola interview, <laughs> that Tampa yeah, Bay Rays yeah. hitting coach, which, who was our recent guest on our podcast. We will post that video as long once people, you know, we stop, you know, once we hire people and things like that. Right. See,
0: this, just, we just, we have now, we have now. First of all, we know people who have listened to this podcast. We aired the audio of this. I think the week after we did the interview, we have now teased the video of this three times. I think. Times, I think.
1: Yes, I think it. <laughs> I take full responsibility for that, but you know what? I don't take responsibility for the UCF softball schedule. Eric Lopez oh, wow. will Look take responsibility for that. Uh, their schedule is out, and uh, all right, Eric, help me through. Uh, help me through some of these uh, some of these interesting home matchups, especially in non conference. You got New Mexico State, McNeese State, UNF, Kennesaw. Number three, Arizona coming into town. Hello. Uh, Hello. At South Carolina, uh, home for FIU and then home for Florida on March 24th. Season, the home season starts February 19th. The season actually starts down in Fort Myers on February 13th. That's a Saturday uh, against Florida Gulf Coast. They play a pair of doubleheaders down there. But uh, what do we think here? We got we got South Florida finished out the schedule on May the 9th. We got softball coming up here. Uh, what did... Uh, what did Cindy Ball Malone uh, pull together here in terms of her schedule for the 2021 season?
2: I, on this episode, what number is this episode of Black and Gold Band? Two hundred
1: and sixty something, I forget.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much for keeping track. Yeah. I am declaring on this episode that Cindy Ball Malone is the new heavyweight champion of scheduling among coaches at UCF. <laughs> Bam! That's your winner. I'm blown away. She has gotten Arizona to come here. I don't know if people understand. It is hard to get a Pac-12 team in softball to get out of their own state because teams come to them. That's a good point. Uh, And to get Arizona to come here, this will be the first time ever that Arizona plays at UCF. Think about this. Prior to Coach Ball Malone in the first 18 seasons of UCF softball, only one Pac-12 team ever played at UCF. That was Utah. No offense to Utah, but when you think Pac-12, you don't think Utah. It's kind of like when football had their first, quote-unquote, SEC uh, opponent at home, and it was Missouri. And we're like, eh, that's not really SEC. That's kind of the same way. Wow. So, yeah. So, since she's gotten here, in the last two years, she has gotten Washington to come here last year, and now Arizona. That is a wow. If I, okay? Mike Kendrea – the winniest head coach in the history of college softball, eight national titles, over sixteen hundred wins. I mean, they are they are the Yankees of college softball. In fact, since you're both Yankee fans, you'll appreciate this. Mike Kendrea, of Arizona wears pinstripes. They're very well known pinstripes in so, uh, jerseys. The reason is because Mike Kendrea put them in because he's a diehard Yankee fan. So uh-huh. he put he loves the pinstripe look. So that's what Arizona is known for. They have all the big names in the history of the sport, among some of the biggest names. Um, so this is going to be huge when they come here. Fingers crossed. Bar uh would be pretty big, big, big deal. To pull that off is, is incredible. This would be, by the way, the third time Mike Kondrea faces UCF. Uh, this, the, he's faced them at, with Arizona before in 2016 at the Mary Nutter Tournament. He was the head coach of the U.S. Olympic team in 2008 when they played UCF in Altamont Springs and beat them one to nothing. So uh, there's some history with Mike Andrea, but he is the winniest softball head coach ahead of Carol Hutchins of Michigan. And if he once he plays, UCF can claim they have had the winniest softball head coach of all time coach at the complex and the winniest baseball head coach of all time coach at the. At UC uh in a game at UCF with Mike Martin Sr. of Florida State. Huh. So uh that's a pretty cool little neat stat, neato stat for you there. But other notes from the schedule you mentioned, that go to South Carolina, their top twenty-five at Old Miss, Jamie Traxel's the new head coach there, two SEC teams. First time ever that UCF and Florida will play a home and home schedule. uh, In the regular season, they usually play one game at somebody's house one year and then they alternate each year. Now, this year uh, they will play at UCF March 24th and then at Gainesville, April 14th. Credit to Tim Walton, who, by the way, cheap plug, is my guest on today's episode of In the Circle podcast, softball podcast, In the Circle SB on Twitter. Thank you. Uh, He's my guest there. But credit to them for scheduling each other for a home-and-home. I think that helps both sides in this climate. Good top competition could be a top 25 showdown. Uh, UCF obviously ranked in the top 25. That's huge to get a home-and-home with Florida. They're very loaded. They're top 10 in the country. South Carolina, as I mentioned, top 25. Just like uh, baseball, by the way, the American Conference going to a four-game series as well. Uh, They will play a doubleheader. It is not necessarily a guarantee that it'll be Saturdays, some of these double headers will be either Friday. Some might be on Saturday. That is still to be determined. But they're going to go four-game conference series. Final weekend of the regular season. UCF is scheduled to host South Florida. That could be for the American Conference Championship. On that, also McNeese State, Southland Conference champ. They're a top twenty-five caliber team. You mentioned New Mexico State. New Mexico State. Kenneth, I'll say she scheduled seven teams that were in the top fifty in offense. In 2020, so hmm. the pitching staff got their yeah very. I, I don't know if that was by coincidence, or 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 are we, we going to see
1: fireworks at the yard this year, Eric Lopez, or
2: what? Maybe I hope not. I hope our pitchers can stop them, but it could <laughs> be. I mean, our offense is pretty loaded, but the Mexico State's a whack title contender, Kennesaw's a Sun contender. So she what she's done is she's also scheduled teams that are favorites to win these mid majors that maybe the casual fan doesn't know about. So she's stacked up the schedule. And that's impressive, considering obviously games that she's lost. Think about the games she's lost. Imagine what she could have had in the original schedule. Uh, but still, very strong schedule. That is the one thing that's clear for her. She will play you anywhere, anytime, any place. She is the new heavyweight champion of scheduling. I have to clear. Her.
1: <laughs> all right. So we got. I'm. No, I'm actually you looking get out forward there to for that.
2: that Arizona game. You could say that you've seen the baseball and the softball winningest head coaches of all time if you're out there in person. I, I uh,
0: will have to write it on my calendar. I'm sure I'll be busy. Oh, wait a minute. No, I probably won't be because we will probably won't be out of the house. Ha- well, I probably won't be able to go anywhere else. March 8th. Mar-
1: Monday, March 8th, 3 p.m. Arizona. That's going to be good.
2: Monday, Murph. Nice yep. day. Monday. Yes. Yeah. Monday. Weather a little should
1: little be Monday
0: nice. Day. When is the uh, when is the conference basketball tournament? <laughs> when am oh. I when, – well, when it's, pop- it's,
2: it's Oh, wow. That's a good question. When is that
0: tournament? It's probably that week, but it's probably not until uh, – until Thursday
1: uh, yeah. yeah leave yeah, it to yeah,
2: Murph yeah. to stomp us right on the air here but uh, like I say, you <laughs> uh, it'll be
1: uh, the March 8 uh, the women's basketball championship is March 8th through the 11th while the men's are March 11th through 14th.
2: yeah right. Murph hey which one are you going for you know which one Well, you again
0: for? we've talked about this if I show up on the 10th and I get there on the 11th I could see the first I could see the end of the women's tournament the first round of the men's tournament Okay.
2: And and you uh, depending on how things go, you could be back real soon.
0: Uh I, I could be back before any games are played because
2: it happened last year, yeah. By the cool. way, Jeffrey, twentieth yep. season of UCF softball. Very fitting they're going to Boca to play a figure, right? I mean, right? exactly I the what,
1: place huh? where UCF won their very first conference title back in two thousand and five. So
2: that's correct. So we hope by the way we will have Coach Ball Malone next week on the Bannerets. That's right. At some point for a special softball preview show. Come in, baby let's go ready to roll Murph let's go
1: speaking of previews if you haven't checked out our volleyball preview with Todd Dagenet, you should because his team is off to a three and0 start they uh, knocked off uh, UNF uh, over the weekend uh, swept them uh, both times at home and uh, uh, to get to 3 and0 on the season UCF's next match uh, Friday at two against Tulane they got a, remember they do the they're playing division only and they're double dipping Um with each team in their division. So Tulane Friday at 2 and then Saturday at 2 at the venue. The uh, Saturday match is going to be, or rather all home matches will be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, your boy is going to be on the mic for the Saturday match, guys. So I'm looking forward to that. Can't wait to see, um, can't wait to, get, to uh, get back to the venue and do that. Also, they added a match with Jacksonville on Tuesday, February 9th. That's at Jacksonville to sort of make up for the one match against Stetson that got canceled on Thursday, January 28th. So, uh, a little late addition to the schedule there, uh, and uh, be on the lookout this week because we'll have our soccer previews as well. Eric Lopez, we spoke with um, Tiffany Roberts, the Haydak, uh, yesterday to preview uh, her oh, team. I love
2: that she is fantastic. One
1: of our uh, definitely one of our favorite interviews of all time. We love talking to Coach Tiffany. They have their they actually open their season with an exhibition on Sunday at one against Miami. Um, And then the regular season starts uh, on Valentine's Day at Temple. (laughs) Tiff was joking about how cold it's going to be up there. I don't know, maybe. But it's... uh,
2: Blame you for that. You've been throwing this Temple negativity here. I just... uh, Gosh.
1: I mean, you know, it's always cold and miserable up there in Philadelphia. It's like, geez. Anyway. um, And now the men's soccer team, their season starts uh, on Saturday as well. Their actual regular season. And they start with... They're playing, of course... Only eight conference, or excuse me, ten conference games. Uh, and they're playing, uh, they're opening with Tulsa at home on February 6th. That's, of course, Saturday on ESPN+. Uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games over you know, overall in the schedule. So they're playing everyone else in the conference home and home. All right, which is um, which is good for the round robin. You know, no non-conference games this year for them. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be, uh, Tulsa's usually a pretty tough opponent. Then they have South Florida... Uh, obviously, you get South Florida at home, who's uh, who's usually pretty good, uh, and then their last home game is going to be against SMU on April the second. So that's going to be um, that's going to be a dogfight right there. But uh, yeah, we got soccer coming up. We're going to be talking to uh, Scott Calabrese a little bit later uh, today. Eric Lopez,
2: you down? Yeah, I'm down. I'm down for soccer. I am down. By the way, Murph is a prophet. Because I have breaking news on the women's basketball schedule, which oh, I will report. Oh, boy. I will, re- I will report now this, uh, Jeffrey, so you don't have to edit our women's basketball segment okay, earlier. Okay, good. Because, just in, I, man, we really do need to get like a wogebomb Bomb sound effect or something. So, remember, <laughs> uh, so, as I'm reading, I've just gotten the email, I feel like a Michael Cole back in the day. Remember my, that, those days, Murph, when he used to, I've got received an email, and then he just reads an email and, it was very dorky. More, that's that's more, how I feel right now. More
0: terrible UC, uh, WWE writing right there. That was offensive.
2: <laughs> that's correct. That was my way of stalling as I load up the email I just really, really got as we record, ladies and gentlemen. So, chorus to the league. The UCF. Remember that Wichita State game you said uh, that was at home on February, uh, this Wednesday, coming up here, Jeffrey? Mm-hmm. No longer the case. That's now in Wichita.
1: Ah. <laughs>
2: They're now playing at Wichita State and – UCF will now host South Florida March 4th. So, the regular season... Wow, that's now, late. It How late it is? It's the last regular season game of the season. Huh. Originally, the last regular season game was going to be in Tampa March 2nd. That is still the case. They will still play at USF March 2nd. But now they will also play March fourth. So the two teams are going to play back-to-back games. So to you were right. Decide the conference championship. You were that right. Yep.
1: You were right all nope. along. South Florida back-to-back to end the season for UCF wins. But late breaking news here on Black and Gold Banneret. Right? How, how like awesome Bert is says, that?
2: things happen when we record. Things Gosh. happen.
1: Please don't hire an AD the, the second that I that I hit the stop record button. Please. I'm going to have
2: to, I will make some phone calls after we record and figure out why the <laughs> heck are we going to Wichita on Wednesday? But you know, all right. I I, that part I don't get, I don't, unless I guess the only thing they could think of is that, well, you know, they were supposed to go to Wichita, but now they lost, they lose a home game unless they're going to make up that Wichita home game later. I don't know. I'm going to have to make phone calls later, but you yeah, know, move on. That's, that's the big news. So UCF USF now will finish the regular season with a home at home.
1: All right, cool. So, wow. That will be uh, so there you have it. We'll have uh, we'll have updates for you. Of course, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and facebook.com slash black and gold Bannerette. Uh not to mention black and gold where we will update you on everything that is going on. And don't, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you don't already. If you do, please leave us a rating uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you don't, make sure you follow us uh, wherever you get your podcast, if it's on the uh, if it's on uh, uh, Apple or Android, whatever it may be, make sure you li- make sure you subscribe. And uh, tell your friends about us, too, so that, we can, uh, to our, so that we can bring more UCF sports to you, our loyal podcast listeners. So as we wrap it up here, lots to talk about. We'll be keeping an eye on the AD search and, of course, the, the, head, football, the head football coach search and uh, any other schedule updates with basketball as they become available. Uh, on all of our uh, outgoing channels for content. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, especially Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Saren saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Keep an eye on us on Twitter and we'll catch you a little bit next we'll catch you a little bit later next week with our soccer previews as well as our next show. We'll see you then.